Welcome to Pep Talk and Pickleball. I'm your host, Jill Lewis. In this week's Pep Talk, I interview Dr. Jennifer Hassler. She's a naturopathic doctor specializing in helping women over 40 to manage their changing hormones. If you've ever wondered what the difference is between a naturopathic doctor versus a medical doctor, you are in the right spot. In the Let's Talk Pickleball segment, I'm sharing my experiences with a pickleball double strategy called stacking. Now, before we get started, I want to share with you a free virtual event that I will be hosting in February. It's called Be My Galentine. This is a three-day virtual event where I will be sharing with you my tips and tricks on how I enjoy life, which includes wine and chocolate and dining out and having fun without gaining fat or feeling guilty. And I'm going to be sharing fun ideas for you and your best gals, your Galentines, and even with you and your Valentine. And a special bonus, I'm going to be giving you three free workouts, all led by me. This event's going to be taking place February 8th, 9th, and 10th. It's all virtual. It's all free. All you got to do is sign up. You can find the link to this Be My Galentine event in the show notes. So make sure you check them out. Okay, on to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Pep Talk and Pickleball. I'm your host, Jill Lewis, and today I am here with Dr. Jennifer Hassler. Dr. Jen is a naturopathic doctor, and I am so excited that she is here to explain all about what is a naturopathic doctor and how she can help you. So thank you for being here, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Give us a little bit of background on yourself. So I have been a naturopathic doctor for almost 20 years now. The way that you become a naturopath is a little bit different depending on province or state. I'm a Canadian, so province is here. So I, I did my undergrad in environmental science and health sciences at Queen's University, which is about five hours from where I live now. And then after that, I went to the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is a four-year program in Toronto. And then upon finishing that, I had to write some licensing exams. And uh, since when was it in November of 2003, I have been licensed as a naturopathic doctor in Ontario. Of course, you're a wife and a mom. You're a busy gal. So tell us a little bit for those of you out there that are not familiar with what the difference is between a naturopathic doctor and just your regular, like an ND versus an MD doctor. Can you give us a little explanation of that? For sure. Um, and yeah, that's a question that definitely people commonly ask me. It's not like it needs to be an either or when people are making decisions for their healthcare. A lot of times people are working with me in addition to their medical doctor. And I mean, I know in the States versus Canada, the way healthcare is set up is a little bit different, but the similarity between both, I would say, is that medical doctors generally are really good at looking for pathology, right? Like if you have cancer, you know, you MRIs and that kind of thing are needed and chemotherapy, like that's within the scope of a medical doctor. Or if somebody breaks their arm, right, you need the x-ray and you need the cast and uh, as a naturopathic doctor, I'm more looking at things from a functional standpoint. So those those boxes are important. Like if somebody comes to me and says, I have this, what can you do to help me? Um, of course, that can help to determine the treatment plan. But what I'm always thinking of is what functionally in that person's body 
might not be working optimally and what can I do to fix that? So that could mean looking at the levels of certain nutrients in their body, like vitamins and minerals. Um, and I can help with that even if they don't fit into a box, right? Like a lot of times people just know they don't feel great. They don't have energy. They're experiencing, you know, a lot of hormonal symptoms or they've got a lot of pain, but they've been told that everything is okay, right? But everything's not okay. So even though they're not fitting into a diagnostic box, I'm still thinking, well, what can we do to help things function more optimally so that they can feel the way that they want to and deserve to? Gotcha. So I've actually, I have taken two of my kids to a functional medicine. So would you say is a functional medicine practitioner, is that the same thing as an integrative health practitioner? Um, it can be. Like okay. I would say all naturopathic doctors practice from a functional medicine mm -hmm. perspective. There mm -hmm. are some medical doctors that have done functional medicine training as well. Not like as a generalization though, that's not typically what their specialty is. So okay. functional medicine can kind of be an umbrella that could pertain to a variety of practitioners. It just basically means someone who's looking to optimize function right. within the body. And usually that's coming from like a more natural treatment point of view. Yes. Okay. So two of them have gone and it has been incredibly helpful for them. And what I thought the biggest difference was how much, I mean, well, there was a lot of differences, but one of them is the time, the amount of time that that doctor spent with my kids in the appointment. The initial appointment was like two hours long. I mean, it was really long and the questions in the medical history went back to what was your birth like all the way through the years to the age that they were. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for sure, a really extensive intake is an important part of figuring out what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. Figuring out what's stress like in people's lives or like children or adults, that plays a huge role. And so um, I always get my patients to fill out a really extensive intake form before we meet. And then the initial visit, we're going through that in detail. I'm asking lots of questions because that really helps me to determine what the best treatment plan is. Like I kind of, I understand it, but I kind of chuckle when someone like will send me a message and be like, I have this what should I take? <laughs> like it's not, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach. Sure. There are some similarities across similar conditions, but we want to take the person as a real whole and integrate like blood work that's been done and testing that's been done as well as their medical history and what they're currently experiencing mm -hmm. and then figure out like, what is the uh, individualized treatment plan for that person? That's makes the most sense to start with. Absolutely. Now, most of the, the patients that you see are female and they're probably between what, what do you think? 45 years of age to 60 maybe, or is that probably kind of, like, of yeah. course there's some, yeah, outside of those age ranges, but that would generally be the majority. What? Okay. So if a female is coming to you and she is having some just new uncomfortable symptoms in her life. And it's maybe around that perimenopause, menopausal timeframe. First of all, what are some of those symptoms that, you know, women might think are just normal that you're like, no, 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 that's not normal. And you don't have to live like that. And what, what are you usually doing for them? That that seems to be working. Start first of all, with like, why would somebody, well, mm -hmm. I, I 100% agree that we shouldn't just need to accept 
feeling a certain way, right? Like some people will say, oh, I turned 40 and then everything just went downhill. Or I guess I've just got to expect that I'm going to be in pain because I'm over 40 now. And I absolutely don't think that that's true. It's common, right? A lot of people feel that way, but that's not the way that it has to be. It's just at this point in our life, our body's not going to let us, you know, keep running on empty and not take care of ourselves and not get enough sleep. And if we've been doing that, like a lot of us have been by the time we get to that age, then our, our body really starts telling us that it doesn't like that. So around perimenopause and perimenopause just means the time leading up to menopause. There's no after menopause because menopause just means like your period is stopped, right? So we're either right. leading up to that or it's stopped. But during that, you know, you're often in our 40s and some women it's even into their 50s, you're still having a period, but you start to notice you're not sleeping as well. Maybe those symptoms that before were just a few days before your period start taking up more of your month, like moodiness and achiness and hot flashes night sweats, that kind of thing. Yeah, joint pain for sure can be part of that. I mean, as our hormones shift, our body really has to figure out how to adapt to a new normal. And the more stress our body has been under leading up to that time, the harder that adaptation can be. And usually the more symptoms that women will experience. So that makes sense. I'd never really thought about that before, but that makes a lot of sense. I was at a conference last weekend or two weekends ago and um, talking about menopausal health. And there was some meme that was put up about, you know, if, if you went like, no wonder our body is angry. Somebody went and took away like all the hormones that, you know, we have been used to up until this point. I mean, it's not that they're totally gone. They're there, but we're having to adjust to a new way of our body making those hormones. So it, it is a big adjustment. And if we're struggling with that adjustment, then that's when we see more symptoms. So someone, maybe their first step is they've gone to their, like their annual gynecology appointment, and they don't really have any answers from that on why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, or they've had weight gain that no matter how well they're eating or exercising that that's not coming off or they're, they're still just not sleeping well. They're still just having these uncomfortable symptoms. And then they come to you with this, then what are you doing to help them? So, I mean, a lot of women will have gone to their medical doctor and said they want to have blood work done to check their hormones. And the really frustrating part about hormonal blood work is like, it can tell us if we're pregnant, it can tell us if we're menopausal, Sometimes, like, I mm -hmm. mean, when we officially are, we can see that on blood work, but we can't diagnose hot flashes from that, or we can't see, you know, that someone's having a lot of mood changes or depression, or they're not sleeping well. So, I mean, blood work is somewhat useful, but in terms of those transitions that are happening in our 40s into our 50s, and I'm 46, so like I very much can relate to all the things that a lot of my patients are experiencing, but blood work is just showing us what's in the blood. It's not showing us how our body is using those hormones and metabolizing those hormones. So it's, it's quite limited information. It also will vary depending on what point of our cycle we're in, if we're still cycling. So it's just getting a little tiny snapshot. So there's not a ton of information we can get from that. The way that I work with patients, I mean, the history is a big part of it, just hearing what symptoms are you having? And I can make some pretty good educated guesses about what's going on with their hormones. If we need to dig a little bit deeper, then for hormonal testing, I really like a test called the Dutch test. 
So it's a urine metabolite hormone test. It looks at quite a few different hormones, not just estrogen and progesterone. It also looks at our cortisol curve. So cortisol is the hormone our adrenal glands make in response to stress. And I would have to say when I do have clients or patients doing that test, almost always we see that the adrenals are struggling. And so that's a big part of helping women with their hormonal symptoms. And it makes sense, right? Like as our ovaries stop regularly making estrogen and progesterone, it's our adrenal glands that need to take over that production. And if they're pooped out because we've been pumping out all this adrenaline and cortisol, and you know, it makes sense if you're not sleeping, you're having to push through during the day, that's only aggravating that, then they're not very capable of taking on the job of making the hormones that we're now asking them to make. I mean, it's not a, a quick fix. I was getting ready to say, this sounds like something (laughs) that people need to be, that they're going to have to work on and it's going to take some time. It will. It doesn't mean you don't start feeling better before everything is better, right? You want to like, of course, we want to see some positive reinforcement for the the changes that we're making. But yes, like it, it definitely takes time, just like it probably took years to get to the point where the adrenals are as they are. It takes some time for them to be able to readjust. And I can even see when I look at the Dutch test, sometimes I'll be like, well, okay, they're, they're coming back, but I can see that you must have experienced some really intense stress and your body is still like, even sometimes it's years later, it's still like trying to get back to where it wants to be. So a big part of what I do is helping women to support their adrenals with the right lifestyle changes with, there are vitamins that can help. There are herbs that are really good at that um, and different herbs, depending on where their cortisol curve is sitting when we look at the Dutch test. Like some people are so tanked out, everything's at the bottom. That's a different approach than when all the cortisol is elevated, which means it's like less of a a chronic long-term issue that's been going on. Would you say stress is probably the first thing that you're going to have a patient work on? I mean, and that's really difficult to do, obviously. What are some things that you're that you're doing to help them decrease the stress in their life? Right. Well, I mean, I wish I could just like wave a magic wand and be like, your stress <laughs> is gone, right? But unfortunately, that's usually, oh, that is never the case. <laughs> right. And I mean, some stress is a good thing, right? Like that's Absolutely. part of what keeps us motivated and, you know, helps us to have a reason to get up in the morning and and excited to do things like stress can be a good thing too, but our bodies are meant to have the fight or flight response turned on only for like short bits of time. And then it turns off again and we get a chance to like rebuild and regenerate. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes on again. Like we're not meant to be in this fight or flight all the time. There are things we can do to help our body adapt and adjust to stress better. I mean, even incorporating things like yoga or meditation, or it doesn't have to be hours of it. (laughs) Like even, you know, 15 minutes a day in a time where they can do that on a fairly routine basis can start to make a difference. And just making sure like, you know, a lot of us are used to pushing through and, you know, taking care of the kids, doing our job, like doing all the things, right. But realizing that we do need time for ourselves as well and time to prioritize making sure we're eating the right food uh making sure we're moving our bodies in some way and not 
like, you know, someone who's, who's got really stressed out adrenals, high intensity cardio exercise is not what their body needs. And a lot of times women are like, well, I need to start doing this in order to lose weight because I'm getting this abdominal weight gain all of a sudden, and I'm doing the same that I've always done. But in reality, doing the high intensity cardio actually makes them make more cortisol and aggravates the issue rather than helps them. And then you're just frustrated, right? You're like, nothing's working. Yeah. Helping to like make sure that we're not go, 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 go all throughout the day and then trying to make our body go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Because ideally, we want our cortisol to be at its lowest at bedtime. And then it gradually rises while we're sleeping and then peaks again in the morning when it's time for us mm-hmm. to wake up. So a lot of people are going to bed and their cortisol is already higher than it ideally should be. If it's high enough, that can make it really hard for somebody to even fall asleep. Or some people fall asleep, but then their cortisol is peaking too soon. And that's why like 3 a.m. is the really typical time that a lot of women be like, I don't even need to look at the clock. Like it's three, I know it is. And then if they fall back asleep, often they're not falling back into good deep sleep or they're really struggling to fall back asleep at all. So we've got to like empty that cortisol bucket so that they could start getting some good deep restful sleep and not ask their body to run on empty to get through the day. It's such a huge, like with so many health issues that I, I see women in this age group, the adrenals are a big, big part of it. You've got stress. And then does then that lead to, <clears throat> excuse me, the imbalance of hormones? Like, is it the chicken or the egg kind of a thing? I guess I get confused on how does that all work together? Right. And it is very, it is kind of confusing because they do very much influence each other. So, you know, if our cortisol is high, that's going to affect how well our thyroid hormones work. It's going to affect how the estrogen and progesterone behaves in our body. So they very much have a domino-like effect on each other. So that's why to just say like, oh, go take this estrogen, right? If, if we're talking about whether it's natural or non-natural hormone replacement, if we're not also addressing the adrenal glands, we're really just kind of putting a band-aid in there. And there's probably going right. to be some other stuff that still pops up, right? We've that got makes to like a lot of sense. help our body have the capacity to create these hormones and have them behave the way they're supposed to, or nothing's really going to get that much better. What are some signs that women might be, or, you know, uncomfortable symptoms women might be having that you would think to yourself, oh gosh, I wish they would work with, you know, either me or somebody like me. They don't need to be living like this because I do think women just kind of suck it up and and just live with a lot of these, live with a lot. And I, I even have like, we don't have to get into that, but I was guilty of that as well. And, and, you know, I feel like that's helped me relate better to what my patients are experiencing, because I think we don't know how we could feel different sometimes until we feel different, right? Like when somebody said to me, you know, how's your energy? I was like, oh, it's all right. Like, you know, I have four kids, I'm working, like Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm tired. And then once I got to the point where I had taken care of some of the things I talk about people to all the time and I felt better, I was like, oh my gosh, I was so tired. So I think that's a big one. Like, our energy level so many times we brush it off, right? Like, oh, we've just got to like push through it. You know, if you're feeling really like you're pushing through your day, I think that's one sign that something is off. And, you know, in my own case, it was 
multifaceted what was off. <laughs> like, I wish it was just like one thing, you know, I had really low iron, but there were reasons why my iron was so low. And so it's not, it's not usually one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, like we deserve to be able to go through life full of energy and not moving in pain, right? Like, that's another thing. I don't think that, like, when we look on an x ray, sometimes we'll see a lot of joint degeneration, but somebody is actually not experiencing very much pain. Or sometimes the opposite is true, and the joint doesn't look too bad, but that person is in a lot of pain. Mm. Uh, so there, you know, it's it's never just like, oh, the joint, well, okay, sometimes it is just that, right? Like if you've right. torn a ligament or whatever, like, yes, that is, that's true pain. Yeah. Um, but it's multifaceted, like how much inflammation our body produces and how we're able to cope or not cope with that. So I think anytime we have that little inkling that like, this just doesn't seem right, pay attention to that because we know ourselves better than anybody else does. And then also be proactive, like get your eye. One thing I was guilty of, um, I didn't get my iron checked and I always tell my patients to do this. And mine was like embarrassingly low. So, you know, now I'm on it. I, I just actually contacted my doctor today and was like, let's do this blood work again, because I don't ever want to go back there again. So stay on top of doing that, like check your vitamin D, check your B12, check your iron on top of the cholesterol and other things that, you know, we more typically do as part of a checkup. And I mean, see a functional medicine doctor, like I have to see a doctor because I don't, I can't treat myself with clarity. Like we need a coach, whether it's nutrition, mm -hmm. whether it's fitness, whether it's our health to give us some direction and help us see through the trees of what we really need to focus on. Absolutely. So if somebody does get those tests, or I guess if they're going to their regular MD and they get an annual checkup and they get their cholesterol and they know what their blood sugar levels are. So a regular MD could also add on some other things to just straight up get your vitamin D, B12, iron, would you say those are pretty like top three? Or are there any other ones that someone should be getting on an annual basis? Well, I always like to, you know, know, have they had their full thyroid panel done? Have they, and like what I will do is say to my patients, you know, have you had blood work done recently through your medical doctor? If they have, I'll ask them to send me a copy of that so I can look through it. And then I will let them know what else I think would be good to, you know, to based on to the what their level. symptoms are based on their symptoms. Yeah. Like not everybody needs a full thyroid panel, but if you're mm -hmm. feeling tired, that's definitely something that should be ruled in or out. If they're experiencing a lot of joint pain, then I want to make sure we're checking the inflammatory markers, like things like CRP and ESR. And so it's not always the same things for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely like having that conversation about, because even another thing that, that's important is that even when patients have had medical doctors do their blood work, the way that I interpret the results is sometimes a little bit different than they would. So we usually have pretty wide reference ranges and right. I don't want you sitting like just below high or, you know, towards the lower end, like the thyroid hormone TSH is a great example, or B12 is a great, iron is a great, they all have really big ranges and you could definitely be feeling crappy. And yeah. Normal. You could be on the <laughs> in normal, but your low normal, but it's still within a normal, like what they say is a normal level, but 
that doesn't mean it's optimal. And I always right. run the thing of like, I want to feel optimal. I don't want to go through life just feeling on low normal. <laughs> I want just to go being through not life. sick, right? Like yeah. we want to be better than not sick. Yeah. Right. And like iron, the reference range, I mean, in Canada, it might be, but it is fairly close in the States. It's like iron stores can range from five to 272. So <laughs> optimal for women, like men are more often in the hundreds, women very rarely because we lose iron when we have our period and we just don't absorb it generally as well as men. So around 80 is optimal, but it is so unusual to see a woman sitting around 80. Usually I've seen many women who are in the single digits and because they're still above five, they're told their iron is fine, right? I can guarantee you they're feeling tired if it's that low. And then we want to look at, well, why is it that low? Are they having heavy periods? Are they not eating enough iron? Are they not absorbing the iron? Are they, do they have an ulcer and they're losing it through that kind of route? So we want to dig a little deeper. We want to replace the iron, but also look at why did it get to that point in the first place? I'm such a fan of functional medicine because of this, because like just what you said, it's digging deeper and finding what's really going on here and not just putting a bandaid on it. I, that's mm -hmm. my favorite thing about it. And I don't know. Now I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I don't know if I've had my iron checked in a while. I want to get that done. <laughs> like, hmm. And if you check it and it's fine, right, then, yeah. you know, it's not like you need to check it all the time. But if I check it, I see it's low, we're going to start something, we want to recheck it in about three months time, and make sure that whatever you've started doing is having the effect that you want. And if not, then we need to do, you know, change it up or dig mm -hmm. a little deeper and figure out what can we do to get that where it should be. I think that what you said earlier too, if you have like a little feeling like something's off, really listen to your gut on that. And that is what, you know, just as an example, my daughter was a teenager and I can't tell you how many, I've had numerous MD physicians tell me that, well, because I kept saying that she sleeps so much, like she's so tired all the time. I'm like, well, teenage girls, that's what, that's what they do. You know, they are tired. They, they do sleep a lot. And I was like, okay, but I don't remember being that tired when I was that age, but okay. Anyway, fast forward, we did get a lot of this other work done and her B12 was terrible and her iron was also crazy low. It was really interesting to go through that. She actually did the B12 shots for a while and that really helped. And then, you know, the iron and it was, she wore an iron patch actually for a long time. Oh, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. You're working with all different facets of what's happening in our life. And I just, I can't say enough about what doctors like Jennifer do for your health. And again, not to just get through life, but to like thrive through life and feel really yes, good. Absolutely. And I would say, I know people often say, well, how can I find somebody? The thing is, if you live in an unlicensed state or province, if you're Canadian, then anybody can call themselves a naturopathic doctor, which is kind of a scary thing. Right. So you want to find somebody who's been to, if you live in a licensed state, then you can't call or province. You can't use that title without it being malpractice. So that makes it a little bit easier. And you can find out, like, I just did it today for somebody, you know, Googled, is the state licensed for naturopathic medicine? And it comes, the list of what is comes up right away. Okay. So I would, I would look for somebody who's been to an accredited naturopathic college. There's mm -hmm. like three of them in the States, I think, and two in Canada. So there aren't that many of them. Wow. Um, but even somebody who is 
lives in a state that's not licensed will share that information if that's the case of where they did their training. The way that it works for me, I can do virtual consults for anybody who lives in my province or anybody who lives in an unlicensed state or province. So when if someone contacts me and says, can I help you? I have to say, like, where do you live? <laughs> because if they live somewhere where it's licensed, I would have to hold a license in that province. I so see. it's a little bit confusing, but mm -hmm. I mean, people can always send me a message and I'll send you to the website of where you can find someone. Or like if it's somewhere, you know, they do live somewhere that's licensed, I will send them to the association page for that state or province and you can search for somebody there. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Tell us how we can find you and you have a website too, right? I do. So I am on Instagram. It's Jennifer A. Hessler. And then my website is drjenniferhesslernd.com. H-A-E-S-S-L-E-R. Got it. And I will put that in the show notes as well. So we could talk forever. <laughs> we could. I know we could have like a whole one just on sleep or just on hot flashes. So if there's something that your listeners are interested in specifically hearing more about, then yes. they should reach out to you and I'd be happy to come on again. Fabulous. Thank you so much. That's a great idea. All right, Jennifer. Thank you again. Bye-bye. It is time to talk pickleball. Okay, guys, this week I want to talk to you about stacking. If you are new to pickleball and you're like, what the heck is stacking? Go check out a video on YouTube, Pickleball 411 Stacking. It's less than five minutes. Great video, explains what it is, amazing visualizations. And again, it's less than five minutes. Tells you the pros, the cons, all of that. But stacking in a nutshell, it's a double strategy that's going to keep the players on their preferred side of the court, like the right or left side. It's going to keep them on the side of the court that they want to be on where they feel like they're the stronger player. So it's going to hide a weakness on uh, between you and your partner. If, if you're a newbie, you may not know this, but that after you have served or after you have returned a serve, y'all can move anywhere on the court that you want on your side. You can move on the right or the left side. doesn't matter. It just matters when you serve or when you receive a serve that you're on the correct side, right or left of the court. So doubles players are using this strategy most of the time if one player is right-handed and one player is left-handed. What that's going to do is it's going to keep a forehand to the middle of the court. If you've started playing pickleball, you'll hear people say, you know, always let the strong, you know, the forehand, the strong forehand is going to take the shot because backhand typically could be weaker. Just like I said, it's going to help a team hide a weakness. It could also help a team if they're getting lobbed on a lot and it's kicking your butt. If you're getting lobbed on a lot, you might consider stacking because if you have a more agile or just a quicker partner, you know, the one that's going to be running back to get them better, you know, to have their forehand to the middle of the court. So you could stack for something like that too. But I've only seen it used when there is a left-handed player with a right-handed player. And it's always when a left-handed player has requested it. Now I'm playing at an intermediate level. Okay, I'll be the very first to tell you that I should be more advanced than I am. But you know, I didn't play racket sports growing up. So this is this is new to me, except for ping pong when I was little. So yeah, I would say I'm probably a 3.5 and very, very intermediate. So at the beginner intermediate level, it's, it's just a strategy that most times if you are playing with a left-handed player or you are a left-handed player, that's the only time I've seen it requested and it can work well, but 
at this beginner intermediate level, I've also seen it go wrong. So let's just kind of talk about like what could go wrong with the stacking. Okay. Well, it's, first of all, it's confusing. If you're playing with someone that asks you to stack, it's a lot to keep up with because first of all, in pickleball, I think we can all agree that just keeping score puts your brain in a blender a bit, right? I mean, you got to remember a lot of numbers, who's on what side, who's served. And if you have a long play or a good volley going, you kind of forget in the moment, like, oh, wait a minute, who even served that? So that's pretty common, especially in the age group, uh, 49 and older. Yeah, we're not exactly remembering every little thing. So it's hard to keep track of the score, who served, et cetera, already. But then add that stacking on top of it. I'm telling you, it will, it'll mess you up a little bit. And then the other thing is you got to be mobile. You got to be ready to move. You got to be ready to move quickly because when your opponents return it to you, it could cause unforced errors on your side if you're not in that position. For example, I'm right-handed and I'm playing with a left-handed partner, okay? And I am now serving. I'm serving, for instance, say I'm serving on the right side of the court. When we're stacking, my left-handed player, he or she is going to be to my right. They're going to be over to the side, to the right side of me. So we're both on the same side of the court. After I've served it, I need to sidestep it quickly. I got to shuffle over and get over to that left side of the court to cover that left side of the court. So if my opponents were smart, they're going to return it to the left side of the court because maybe I'm, I got to make sure I get there quickly enough. So maybe my feet aren't set. And then obviously, anyway, that's a smart play because that's my backhand. It could cause some unforced errors on your side. In my opinion, I think in rec league open play for a beginner to intermediate, I think it's a little silly if it's not a partner that you play with all the time, because at my level, unless both people are really comfortable with it, it makes people uncomfortable. I, I don't think a lot of left-handed players know that there's a ton of right-handed players out there that are complaining about this behind your back. <laughs> This is what I experienced in the last two weeks. The last two weeks I'm noticing in open play and in league play, there's a lot of complaining, a lot of whispering saying, I wish so-and-so would quit stacking because we're playing with these random partners and you can't get your groove on and it's confusing and this and that. And I get it. I have done it so much now. I feel like I have a really good understanding of it doesn't really bother me to do it. What bothers me about it so much is when my opponents are doing it, but they're messing it up and they're not getting in the right position and they're taking a lot of time and it just throws off my rhythm of the game. Then I get irritated and I really get irritated. And that happened to me in a ladder league this week. I had to really bring it down a notch. First of all, the sun was in my face. It was really hot that day. It was later, I don't know how many games we had played in this league. You know, I'm doing pretty well. I didn't want to lose my spot. So I'm really wanting to win. I was being very competitive. Now, I try not to act that way verbally, but in my brain, you can imagine what was going on. And they getting confused on stacking, taking a lot of time. It was driving me nuts. And then they actually were in the wrong position. And I was getting ready to serve to them. And I knew that they were, and I could have served it to them. And if they had returned it, that would have been their fault and I would, it would have been a fault and it would have been my team's point. But because I felt like, I don't know, I needed bonus points in the universe, I guess I told them, <laughs> I said, you guys are not in the right position. You're supposed to be there. And if I had served this, that would have been my point. I kind of said it is a little passive aggressive, but I did keep them from losing a point that way. And they said, thank you. I will say though, as a 
on the pro side, if you are stacking and you're playing beginner intermediate, it does throw them off. If people have never played against people that are stacking, it totally throws them off. It gets them, you start noticing like, oh, what are they doing? Where are they going? Why are they shuffling around? And it, it does throw you, get you out of your concentration. So I guess that is a pro on the side of why you should stack also. In a rec league, again, I've seen it where it just doesn't really make sense because you're not playing with that same partner all the time. I've just seen a lot of people get so, so confused. But if you have a partner that you play with a lot, totally makes sense. But to ask a 3.0 player to do it in open play, I don't know. I just don't really think it's the time. I've had someone, oh my gosh, I've had someone stack on me during a friendly round robin. We were not keeping scores at all that day. The left-handed person on the other team stacked the entire game. Now my partner was a was like a new player, maybe a 2.5, maybe. She's really sweet, but just you know, not, not a good player. The other team stacked on us the whole time. They pickled us. They beat us 11 to zero. The nicest way I could say it was a bit much, you know? So I think there's time and place and you, as a player, you just need to be aware of, okay, let's take it down a notch. Or if you're in a, a league that is the competitive league or you're in a tournament, I mean, yeah, go for it, but you got to know what you're doing. You need to make sure that your partner is comfortable doing it too. I think what's really rubbing people the wrong way is the assumption that we're going to stack. And I think a lot of right-handed people are like, I mean, I'm sorry that you're left-handed, but maybe just work on your backhand a little more. <laughs> that is something I've heard. and It makes me laugh. Oh my goodness. Anyway, one thing I did learn, I think it was in the fall, I was stacking with a gentleman that... I play with a lot and he's left-handed. He said something that clicked in my brain that has helped me when people want to stack. I'm right-handed by the way, so I could care less. But if I'm playing with a left-handed player, I'm super comfortable because he said this to me. He was like, all right, we're normal. We're normal. If we're odd, we're odd. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, obviously your left-handed person is going to start on the right side of the court. They're going to be the one that's going to serve first. So, you know, when you start a game of pickleball, whoever's on the right side serves first. So you want your left-handed player to be on that right side. They're always going to be, when they're on that right side, the score is always going to be even. It's going to be zero, two, four, six, eight, ten. 10. So even means you're normal. Your left-handed player is on the right side. You're on the left side. But if your score is odd, okay, one, three, five, seven, or nine, then your positioning on the court is going to be odd. It's going to be weird. It's going to be funky. That's when you're having to shuffle around. So remember that in your mind, when you're trying to remember, shoot, where am I supposed to be on the court? If it's even, you guys are normal. If it's odd, you're odd. Okay. If it's odd, that means your positioning is also odd. Bottom line, guys, newbies, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. <laughs> this is an advanced strategy you're going to see later as you get better. Intermediate players, you're probably going to be asked. So maybe watch a video on this get familiar with it, try to be a little bit patient about it. Once you learn it, it'll stick, but it can be frustrating, but just know that there's a, a method behind the madness there and advanced players. It's a phenomenal tool to use. It makes sense. It's a great strategy, especially if you have a partner that you're playing with a lot and in tournaments, you have a doubles partner. Totally makes sense. That's my thoughts on stacking. And I don't know, I do enjoy hearing the banter behind the scenes about it. Very funny to me. Okay. In other news. Guys, my back is hurting this week 
And I've been doing a lot of foam rolling. I have my lacrosse balls that I lay on, try like pressure point massage, but I have scheduled a massage. I know, woe is me. It's on my left side, my mid back left side, you know, and I'm right-handed. So you would think it'd be my right side. I don't know. I can't figure it out. And it hurts the most when I'm lying down on my back, which is very strange. Hurts the most when I'm in bed at night, lying down or I go to roll over. I'm like, oh, that didn't feel good. So I'm anxious to get this massage. Hopefully that helps. It's going to be a deep tissue massage. I have to breathe through it, but it's been a while since I've had one. So I'm getting that done down here in Florida and I've been playing a lot. I guess that's why my back hurts. <laughs> Here's the basic schedule. So seven to 9 a.m. I work. Then from nine to 11-ish is when I play pickleball in the mornings. There's always open play at my club, which is so awesome. Love the people out there, even the left-handed stackers. Love them all. They're great. And then I go back, I'll either work out uh, at some point during the day, or maybe I'll work out after I play pickleball. If it's a strength training day, I like to do that right after. So I don't have to take multiple showers in the day, but then I'm going to get home and I always ride my bike to and from the pickleball court. Cause it's only like a mile away, which is so great. I feel like a kid again, riding my bike every day is just so fun. I love it. Then I go eat lunch and I work in the afternoons and then either run errands or maybe go back out to the pickleball court. Got to walk my dog. I mean, telling you this working, you know, snowbird life is the bomb. <laughs> I love it. Working virtually as I do from the house and being such a convenient location with pickleball feels pretty dreamy. Pretty excited about it. That's it for this week. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.